You're listening to the So Cultured podcast, where we bring you the latest science and tech goss, served with a side of piping hot laboratory. We're your hosts, Liv, Yaz, and Taz, three girls with a passion for science and tech. Look, we've got the credentials, so we should know what we're talking about. We're asking the dumb questions so you don't have to, and obviously all opinions are our own. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and let's get into it. Welcome everyone to another episode of So Cultured. We're on episode two and before we get into today's episode, we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone for all of your support on episode one. I think it far exceeded our expectations. Like We're genuinely so happy with how many people listened, tuned in, tagged us on stories and also took the time to send us a message and leave us a rating or review. Like genuinely, I think I speak for all three of us when I say like we're actually very surprised with how many people listened and enjoyed the podcast. It makes such a difference because we've gone into this not thing not knowing how many people would appreciate mm. it and it's like Liv said it's far exceeded our expectations. Yeah, so definitely. yeah, Thanks. so nice Thank to know. You. Um, and going into episode two, we have some very exciting news from a member of our host this week, Ooh. Taz. You've just started a brand mm. new job, which is so exciting for you. So congratulations. Congrats. I know. Thank you. I'm now employed, which obviously is a weight lifted off my shoulders now. <laughs> um, I'm doing like the really boring onboarding stuff and all mm. the compliance training at the moment. So it's not super excited, but I'm just glad to be back and glad to be potentially back in the lab as well but I'm not working on viruses anymore so kind of sad about that but I'm excited to learn something new that sounds so interesting I am not gonna lie I'm low-key happy that you're not studying viruses anymore because you can't scare me about (laughs) rabies anymore because do you remember that I feel like I have to give the listeners and probably Yaz some context I don't think we've told Yaz this story but basically one time I swear to god my cat brought a bat into my house like I was literally in bed and actually I was texting Taz and I remember her literally saying to me like do not let this bat bite you and obviously it didn't even bite me I literally did not bite me but I swear to god I remember laying in my bed thinking this is it I'm literally gonna die like I genuinely convinced myself I had rabies because you were scaring me that much. No, I was actually probably quite intense because I'm such a hypochondriac with it. But how do you think you I are. feel working with the literal live virus every single day? I genuinely thought <laughs> I was just going to magically contract <laughs> rabies and just die. Like, all, if any of my colleagues are listening right now who worked with me during my PhD, then they'll be nodding their head like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I literally, because... I literally could not go... I used to message them like, do you think, do you think this means that I might like have got it? <laughs> that's and literally what I was doing with like, you. For goodness sake. <laughs> no, but that's literally what I was doing with you. And you were literally saying to me like, yeah, be careful. So that night, I swear to God, like I literally, I was sweating. Like there was actual beads dripping <laughs> down my forehead because I was so scared. And I literally remember saying to my sister Grace, like, this is it. This is actually how I go. So yeah, to oh be honest, <laughs> I'm really happy that you can't scare me about that anymore because I feel like naturally, because you're not working in that environment anymore, you would have calmed down a bit from it. Yeah, but it's funny that you say that because I actually feel like it's so ingrained in me, like all these things. And I actually think I'm the biggest hypochondriac from studying biomed because you can't like, <laughs> so become true. like hyper aware of different 
everything that could stuff. happen yeah. yeah yeah literally but also since coming to australia dusk will fall like dusk will fall right and you'll just look up in the sky and this is just sydney by the way this might not be for the whole of australia but you'll look up in the sky and i'm not joking you'll see what you think is like massive massive flocks of bird like so many and then i remember just looking up at the sky and being like i thought there were crows and i was like mm. Wait a sec, they're bats and they're huge flying oh, no. bats. No, 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 no. And I, I've never seen anything like that before. Nah, because bats can be scary, but like you can't really scaremonger with that because bats are good for so many things. Yeah, like giving me and my cats rabies. I don't really know all the details of why they're good, but I just think they're really good pollinators and we definitely do need them. So maybe like we should just appreciate them, even if they're kind of scary. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I am such an advocate for bats and obviously they're a protective species, but it doesn't mean that they don't look scary and they don't carry scary diseases. So Yeah. But honestly, I feel like people are only interested in things or animals when they actually look cute. So when they care about them. So we call it like Mm. charismatic megafauna. And it's the same in my field in marine biology. I feel like nobody cares. Have you never heard that, that term? No. Charismatic megafauna. Why are yeah. you acting Gosh. like that's a term we should all know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my Honestly, God. Okay, anyway, it's stuff like in marine biology, people like the sharks or dolphins, or maybe they don't necessarily like sharks, but like the big things like whales, turtles, they're like, oh my God, so cute. But I just feel like no one talks about my algae and I think algae are so cute. So, you know, I just don't get it. Yeah, no, it's actually so funny you say that because obviously at my work, you have, basically we take submissions um, from of bats from across the UK. So if a member of the public finds a dead bat, then you should send it in to us guys. because Sorry, yeah, I actually so. remember that Taz literally asked me to send the bat to her. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. This is a public service announcement for anyone who lives in the UK. And I'm not so sure if it's just a UK thing or if. They do it overseas as well. But you, if you find a dead bat, contact or like go online and look up bat submissions in the UK and you'll find like a government website. And it's a legit thing. You send the bat in to us because hell? we do disease surveillance <laughs> just to make sure they don't have like rabies-like diseases in them. Oh. And so some of them do, okay? Like we've literally found rabies vi- like viruses in bats. Oh, so oh. wait, wait, wait. If I find a dead bat, you literally just want me to like scoop it up and then send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't touch it with your bare hands. But yeah, maybe get some cardboard or a Tupperware box and then My God, Tupperware like, boxes. Yeah. What, like when you're Friday night, you've had your Indian takeaway, you know when you keep just, the Tupperware boxes just back? Scoop it yeah, up. Keep them back kind for of the box, guys. <laughs> Send them in. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here first. So if you see a bat, a dead bat, then you can pick <laughs> it up with maybe some cardboard and send it to Taz's <laughs> colleagues. Okay, so Yaz actually said to me last night in our group chat, guys, um, that we should book a flight to go and see Taz in Australia. So how do you feel about that now after mm. hearing about all the flying bats? <laughs> I feel like maybe I could be convinced that bats are cute and <laughs> the reasons why we actually need them. So perhaps when we're both visiting Taz in Sydney, we can actually experience that oh, for ourselves. God. So I think maybe we should book this flight. <laughs> 
Well, talking of flying, I think it's time to get into today's science topic. So let's go. Okay, Yaz, tell us what's going on in the world of science. What have you found out this week? So I was doing some reading the other day and I literally came across this cool company that are making jet fuel from human poo. And what? I find that a little <laughs> bit crazy. Yeah, that does sound pretty crazy. But wait, why would they actually want to do that? Like, I just feel like that's so random. I know, right? It sounds so wild, but I think there is definitely a need for it because at the moment we're going through a climate crisis and we definitely need mm. to move away from fossil fuels, which are currently being used at the moment for aviation fuel. So this company called Firefly Green Fuels has come up with this idea to then use human poo. Like, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. But do you know what my first question is? Like, where are they getting this poo from? Like, are people just sending it in like they do with the bats? Imagine it in the somewhere. <laughs> or do they just kind of like go around to sewage sites? Like, what are they doing? I definitely don't think that they're going to be getting people to poop in a Tupperware and then send that in. Or at least I hope that is not what they're expecting. Um, because otherwise I'd feel for the scientists like having to go through that because you just don't want to open your post in the morning and just like go through someone else's poop. Oh my God. (laughs) But what I think they're doing is they're trying to work with local treatment plants um, and basically just trying to harvest the sewage that's just like from like Mm. us, like everyday people. Your sewage just goes down your toilet Mm. and then just, you know, thinking like, yeah, it's just what you've uh, just done like last night or maybe like a few hours ago. <laughs> I guess like you don't think about it, do you? You don't think about what happens to it. But anyway, let's rewind before we get into maybe like more of the specifics about what this company are doing. Because can we talk about what actually is normal jet fuel made from? Or like what is jet fuel? Because I've obviously heard the term fuel, but yeah, what's jet fuel? <laughs> jet fuel is typically kerosene, which is made up from parts of crude oil or petroleum. And that's the type of fossil fuel which you basically get from underground. So I can think of a really obvious reason as why they might want to move towards poo instead of petroleum. But can you just explain why? Yeah, definitely. So the idea behind this is that with human poo, it's basically not just like a crazy idea that they've come up with. There actually is meaning behind it. Because when we eat food, whether that's from plants or animals, they have carbon that's stored within them. And then when we consume that and it's like excreted out of us, um, that carbon is like already from within our global system. Mm. So it's kind of like we're just then going to consume carbon that's already there. It's not that we're like getting Uh. it stored from underground. Yeah, okay. So Mm. it's more like recycling carbon rather than producing a new source of carbon. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically the aim of like having this circular system or like recycling, like you say. As you're talking about carbon, and it's reminded me of learning the carbon, was it the carbon cycle or am I getting it mixed up with the nitrogen cycle? Did you guys learn about that? different things, yeah. Yeah, I know they're different things, but carbon cycle is a thing, right? And you used to like do all the, yeah, yeah, I just remember. That's literally what I do like for my PhD. Well, I look at the phosphorus cycle. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) look at like the biogeochemical cycles that go on within our system and like how different organisms utilize those different nutrients and stuff I find it so interesting how everyone's like so interested in different areas of science because I do really enjoy this area of science but like I just can't imagine 
me dinner. I feel like I'd literally be so bad at it. Bad at it. Um, but anyway, how are they converting human poo to fuel? Because surely they don't just like put the poo in the plane like a petrol pump and like <laughs> expect it to burn. So what is the process behind it? I'm just imagining a plane flying and just farting out the back and someone's hit a lighter on it and it's just like fart powered plane in the sky <laughs> like there's just big like, smoke like how powder. does that work <laughs> that literally just gives yeah. me the image from like a cartoon where they're just like making loads of noise just going along like that is actually mad basically <laughs> what was that sentence that reminds me of cartoons where it's like basically making loads of noise and going along. <laughs> making loads of noise and going along. Oh no, my that god! That didn't make any sense. No, I, I, I don't. It's not like a. It's not like a petrol pump where they just add in the poo in and like fueling it from that, like scooping it into into like the end. Wait, what? I don't even know how. <laughs> I don't even know, like... I know what you... No, Yaz, I know exactly what you mean, because that's my question. Like, what's the process behind it? Because I assume that they're not just, like, scooping the poo, like, into the petrol pump. Like, there must be... It is transformed from poo into something else, no? (laughs) It's a mixture of chemical engineering. So some of these scientists must have come up with the idea and then decided to use some of their techniques that they've been learning. And the process is called hydrothermal liquefaction. And I'm not really too sure. I didn't delve into what the ins and outs of this process actually is because I'm not a chemist, but it essentially uses high pressure and heat to convert the sewage into what is like a bio, like crude oil or a biochar-like substance. But is there something specific in the poo that they want, for example? Like, do they want to, for example, like extract the carbon out of the poo or do they literally just like take all the feces <laughs> and then put that into hydrothermal liquefaction? Well, the substance that they produce, this kind of crude oil like biochar, is essentially it it essentially has the same properties that are similar to what they're currently using in fuel. So like similar okay. to the properties of kerosene. So it's just this process that essentially gets it into like a black, gooey, slimy like mess, to be honest. And Ooh. then that's what they use <laughs> as their fuel source. Okay, so how problematic is normal fuel actually then? Like how much carbon emissions does it give off? Yeah, so to be honest, I found it a little bit mad because when I normally hear of aviation, you always think that like it's going to be such a big polluter and flying definitely is a polluter and it gives off a lot of um, carbon into the atmosphere. Um, But actually the figure that they've stated online is that commercial aviation produces around about 2.5% of the global carbon emissions. But obviously, this 2.5% of global carbon emissions, like what does it actually mean? So I'll break this number down slightly. And so obviously, Liv, we were talking about potentially going to visit Taz in Australia. And if we imagine a flight that leaves from London in the UK going to Sydney in Australia, this would essentially give off like 3,955 pounds of what's called like carbon or like co2 equivalents what does that actually mean so it's like a really abstract number i honestly don't know why they use this because like who even knows what it means Mm. but i just did some googling and even though i'm an environmental biologist i feel like i probably should know 
know this by now um like obviously I know some big words maybe that Liv might not know like charismatic <laughs> megafauna but I do not know about maybe what people might think is simple um but if you're interested you can go online and just like google an online calculator to look at carbon emissions and it basically says that this 3,955 pounds of CO2 equivalent is the same as like 900 kg of coal being burnt. 900 kg is that heavy? Liv, obviously I know you're like a gym person <laughs> and you must lift heavy. Obviously I don't think 900 kg heavy, but like, can you put that into perspective? <laughs> yeah, I definitely can't lift a 900 kg. Um, okay, so I think the heaviest anyone in my gym can squat is 200 kg. So times that nearly by five. Yeah, that's pretty mad, not gonna lie. So Liv can squat that easy, basically, guys. <laughs> I can't even squat, like, 60 kilograms. I'm literally holding on for dear life under 60. Honestly, my squats are not strong. <laughs> okay, so Liv, you need to be getting back in that gym and going hard. <laughs> I know. But obviously, let me just put that into perspective slightly more because I feel like all of this is so abstract. It's just numbers. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But if you think about a typical household, so, like, you guys being at home, um, if you were to be using your just normal household energy over a three month period of you using your gas electricity that is essentially the same amount of co2 from your household energies as would be used from a flight from london to sydney whoa okay that's actually crazy i wasn't expecting that yeah literally because when you're just hearing these other numbers like i don't feel like anyone actually understands what mm. it means but also as another way to look at it, because that's like what you've been using, but again, like in your household, like how do you actually know how much energy you're using and like what that gives off? Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to offset that carbon that's being used or being released from this flight or from three months of your household energy, it's literally the same thing as needing around two acres of forest in the US Whoa. for one whole year to absorb the same amount of carbon that you would be using from that flight. No way, that's actually insane. So we really need alternatives. I think like you say, we just hear these arbitrary numbers of how much CO2 is released for every flight. But until you put that into perspective of how much a tree can absorb, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. See, we definitely do need alternatives. But like I said, aviation fuel currently contributes to around 2.5% of global carbon emissions. And actually a lot of other transport mechanisms are also putting out a lot more carbon. So if you think about all of the carbon emissions just going into the atmosphere, transport accounts for 20% of global carbon emissions and others could be from like industries that burn fossil fuels and stuff for energy, like household energy. But within this 20% of transport, 45% comes from cars and buses and within that, 20%, I think it was only about maybe like 11% or something that was from aviation. So that's where we get this 2.5% mm -hmm. um, stat from. So I feel like even though there is definitely a need to look at sustainable fuel alternatives for aviation, we also do need to be tackling problems with like cars and buses because they're also giving a lot of or like giving a lot of giving off a lot of carbon. So even though I feel like there is definitely a need for sustainable fuel alternatives for aviation, there is definitely a need for us to tackle problems of like cars and buses as well. Yeah, I do think there is a lot of approaches to tackle cars and buses. And obviously we could speak about that on a whole 
another episode on like electric cars and whether they're sustainable with like the battery components Mm. and things like that but going back to aviation surely to have a sustainable source of fuel you'd have to use Mm. renewable energy sources to make the jet fuel from human poo because otherwise Mm. you're just using energy to make energy no Mm. Yeah, that is exactly it. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, because it feels like this research probably won't make the most sense at the moment because it just seems like they will be using energy from this um, hydrothermal liquefaction and actually like inputting energy. So unless we run off like a fully renewable source grid in the country that they're like doing this, then I don't really see how it can be truly sustainable but I think the whole idea of it is just like a cool avenue to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. I didn't really think about that, to be honest. Um, do you know how much poo you need in order to actually sustain a flight? Like, how sustainable is it? So if they get all of the poo from everyone in the UK, how <laughs> long would it actually last them? No, genuinely, like, that is such an important question because, like, I I don't even know how much poo we generate per day or year in the UK because like (laughs) I don't even know like how often would you guys be going for a number two like is that daily or are you someone that would just go like you know what can I just say that I remember once right in my um when I was in school I did work experience and I did work experience in this pharmacy for two weeks right and there was this other woman who was working like in the pharmacy with me. And I genuinely remember this one conversation that we had this afternoon. And I will just never forget this, that we were literally, someone asked us this exact question. And the this woman said that she goes like once every two weeks. And I was like, babe, that's literally not okay. Like- that constipation must be real. Okay, so <laughs> hopefully you've not got any bowel problems and you're going frequently. Then maybe we have enough poo for flights. But what I found <laughs> was that the company have actually said that by 2030, they are planning to have a plan up and running where they can produce enough of this sustainable aviation fuel from the human poo to fuel like 800 flights from London to New York per year. So I thought that was kind of a lot, but like, mm-hmm. what do you guys think? How many flights do you think actually leave London to New York a day? I don't know, maybe like 10 to 20 I want to say, well, because you have to factor in, don't forget that there's multiple London airports. So you've got like, oh, what, how many is that? It's just London Heathrow, isn't it? No, it's just London in general. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's what is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it is just London. Just London, like anywhere that flies to New York. Because I don't know where flies to New York. Because <laughs> I'm guessing like London Stanton doesn't fly to New York. So it's probably <laughs> London Heathrow and Gatwick. Anyways, I'm going to go with 60, I think. 60. Okay, yeah, so you, like, are kind of going at the same ballpark. Um, Well, actually, it's 126 direct flights that run between London and New York per day, which on average is actually, yeah, literally, and on average, that is actually around 887 departures each week. Oh, wait. Wait, that was per day, not week? Yeah, so 126 per day, but... Per week is 887 London to New York flights. Who is getting on these flights? Like, where are all these people going? I don't understand. Well, they're obviously going to New York. (laughs) 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 No, 
I mean, like, where, like, what's the need to be traveling to New York all the time? I mean, like, what are they all going to? Like, why have people got the reason to go to New York so often? I know they're going to New York. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, what are we saying? Are we saying that a year's worth of human poo will only fuel a week's worth of flights to New York, like, from London to New York as well? So... Yeah, and that is using all of the human poo that we produce in the UK. I feel like so much research has gone into this. And I feel like we said this on episode one, like this research, it's like progressive research, right? Like this research will lead to other research, which will eventually have like a bigger impact or maybe like sustain more flights. But at the same time, I want to say like, is it worth it? Is it really worth Mm. it? I don't know. Surely it's about maybe using like... I don't know what other alternatives like are there like we've spoken about fossil fuels we've spoken obviously about human poo but surely there must be other research that maybe is more sustainable or like sustains more flights for example yeah like there's a general umbrella term of like biofuel which basically just means alternatives um as like a sustainable fuel um some researchers have been using ethanol and the way that you can like obtain ethanol or make ethanol is from using like plant biomass and you can ferment it and then that will produce the ethanol and I've read somewhere that a plane managed to run like a whole journey I don't know how far it was but Whoa. like completely run on who ethanol. is getting on that plane literally who is getting on that plane because you literally could not pay because what if it goes down like halfway runs up fuel don't even speak about it no I am not getting on it we have trust in the people that have developed this technology (laughs) and let's just say that like it made it to the destination okay so like we're going with that I mean I have trust but I'm also not volunteering to go on that flight yeah yeah Yaz don't you work on algae as well I think I heard somewhere that that could be a potential source of fuel in the future yeah 100% that is actually why I started my PhD because I'm really interested in the intersection of like using marine resources for like beneficial applications as well so algae can be used or people are trying to use them and grow them in big raceways and harvest their fat so their lipids and use that as a way of like a biofuel and what's really great about algae is because they're photosynthetic they can absorb carbon and they can produce oxygen so like every fifth breath that we take is because of the like oxygen that algae are producing Mm. so they would be really great you do with the algae though you burn it so you wouldn't burn the algae you can harvest their lipids inside i feel like that's kind of harsh though algae are they're living organisms right that's kind of harsh like just to breed a load of algae just to kill them like it's better to use the poo it's just gonna do nothing anyway (laughs) algae is like plants yeah but like you wouldn't eat your lettuce because it's a living thing plants are still living (laughs) are are algae plants (laughs) they're plant-like so they then yes oh okay oh my god (laughs) i think this whole time i thought algae was something else did you think algae were like oh animals? man i've just googled it what did you think i was talking about like coral or something I, I don't know like i genuinely do not know what i thought you was talking about i do not know but now i'm looking at a picture of algae i'm like i'm actually so dumb wow wow that's so funny but to be fair they're technically not plants so it's a fair question i literally mm-hmm. thought they were like plankton oh they are plankton well, plankton Wait, things. They're like little bugs. That's zooplankton. So there, there's phytoplankton. Rewind. I did not. I'm just Googling plankton. I did not. Marine plankton include bacteria 
archaea, algae, protozoa, and drifting floating animals. Thank I you. did not know that. And this is why I study marine microbiology to try and educate people that there are bacteria, there are viruses, there are fungi. There's literally all of it going on in the ocean. I didn't know that was all defined under the term plankton. I had no idea. Yeah, plankton just means like wanderers of the ocean. So they don't have motility. They just like float around. What's that guy from SpongeBob? What's his name? Mr. Plankton. Plankton. Yeah. Um, My like thoughts around plankton is, you know, in Finding Nemo where the whale comes and you just hear them all go, swim away, swim away. (laughs) That is my like whole idea of what plankton are is, and that's what it's based off. So I think... It's safe to say we're not engineers in the slightest. So Yeah. I definitely think that this is a cool technology and it paves the way for so many other types of research in this area. And we definitely do need to be tackling the issue surrounding carbon emissions, especially with different transport, as well as pretty much everything else. But if you are interested in what you've been hearing about today, we will always link the science in the description so you can have a look for yourself. Okay, guys, the laboratory is hot for this one. And it's something that we need to discuss and also bring some awareness to as well. Oh, I'm okay. here for this. So, obviously, everyone who's done a PhD will know the third slash fourth year dread of finishing a PhD whilst also trying to find a postdoc because usually yeah. those things overlap, right? Because yeah. funding stops at the end of third year and then you're like, oh my God, I need to find a role. Mm-hmm. It's fairly common, right? Okay, so I think it's fair to say, like, every PhD student would want to make that transition, like, as easy and as stress-free possible. So, like, Mm -hmm. that would be, like, a really good business idea, wouldn't it? And there is actually a business that does this, and it's got some attraction in the media recently. Okay. Right, so I was reading a science article the other day about a company called Cheeky Scientists. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It rings a bell. The sole reason this article has been published is because of the criticism that it's received, basically. We love a bit of criticism. So I was having a look at their website and essentially what they offer is a seamless transition to industry. So it helps you with networking, your CV, your Already sus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And apparently they help you find like connections from people that they already have connections with. Yeah. So it's a bit like a LinkedIn, but specific. Yeah, and it's fully focused on finding an industry position, not academia. Okay, this already sounds too good to be true. Like I said, it sounds a bit sus. Yeah, because for any listeners that don't know, in academia, the money isn't as great as industry. So, and the job security isn't really there. So getting an industry position is kind of something that people do want. So it is, I would say it is too good to be true because it comes with a hefty price tag of around three thousand to ten thousand dollars damn do you know what though like when you're looking for a job it's because you're broke like who has that kind of money to then find a job so not have three thousand ten thousand dollars laying around at the end of my phd like no scraping my money together yeah, I, I really hate savings. Like honestly, at the end of my PhD, I ate into my savings so bad because, like you said, like my funding ended. I wasn't being paid, 
I was yeah. rushing and I was like, I'm literally eating into my savings every single day. Like I need a job ASAP. Yeah. That's mad. Oh my gosh, I was literally recluse. Do they even have people, like clients, who is paying 3,000, 10,000 pounds? Where are they getting this money from? Well, I think it's safe to say that these people are just very vulnerable at a time yeah. where they're like at re- in really like like really stressed really vulnerable trying to find a job but basically they're being criticized now because the common theme for people who've used the service are high pressured sale tactics swiftly and verbally signed contracts high interest mm-hmm. loans and often rejected nice. refund requests like regardless of whether the services were used yeah, this, this science article which I'll link, it describes scaremongering marketing tactics to turn people off academia as well. And some of the things that they said was, the longer you stay in academia after getting your PhD, the more you damage your career. Excuse me? Yeah. That's one. Um, another I'm one sorry. Was... I'm sorry, let me cut in here. Because is it not like one of the things is it's really hard to get a job in industry if you haven't got like several published papers? So like, literally, where do you expect me to get them if I'm leaving academia, please? Like, yeah, yeah I just don't agree with that statement at all. I don't not know how they can make not at all. More no. damage, yeah. like more transferable skills. You mean? Another thing, obviously, that's just a way to get people to stress and be like, oh, I need to sign up to their service immediately. Mm. Um, another thing that they said was, do you know what happens if you fail a job interview? You get blacklisted. From what? Sorry, what? What? From what? What list do I get? Black yeah. Platform. What are you talking about? One other thing that they said, which I think really specifically targets an even more vulnerable group, international researchers, mm-hmm. stated that if you fail to land a job, you'll be designated an illegal worker and required <gasps> to leave the US. Stop! Oh my Stop god! Right now. What? So it's like really putting like stress on people and like stressing people into buying their service, which is just morally wrong, I think. Because I was going to be real, thinking of that hefty price tag, I would just be like, do you know what? I don't need a job that bad because I can't afford that. Like (laughs) if I had that money, I wouldn't be on a job search. Yeah, they're they're lo- they've locked you into a call and they're saying yeah. all these things. I would You're probably cry. And, yeah, I'd cry and be like, "Please, just I just don't know what to do." That is, yeah, and it's a verbally insane. signed contract, verbally. So like, you don't physically sign it. You're like, "Oh yeah, I agreed to the terms," and then you're locked into the contract. But is that like legally binding? Yeah. What? Like really? Huh? Yeah. Damn. It's a legal thing. Like a, so, I don't know that. Me neither. Yeah, I would just be so, like, at the end of the day, like, hang up, just don't respond to the emails. I'm so awkward. I'm so awkward. And I'm such a people pleaser. Like, I will literally be like, yeah, I'll give you 20 grand. No worries. And then I'll ghost you. <laughs> then I'm legally bound to giving you that money. And I'm screwed. That's scary. We're putting our legal <laughs> um, disclaimers out now. It's all alleged. But the stories come from real people in these articles, by the way. Like, the article says, oh. We've interviewed real people who've used the service. So we actually have a mutual friend, Chloe, and she can be found on Instagram um, at Chloe the Scientist. And she posted on her story recently that um, she had some experience with the Cheeky Scientist service. I remember seeing that, actually. um, I actually asked her if she could give us a rundown of her whole experience. And she's 
kindly provided us a voice note and I've not heard it yet so I really oh am intrigued to see what she's gonna say okay, so okay. Um, I'm gonna let's play go. it now let's go I'm kind of scared but Same. I got an LinkedIn message from just some woman it said something about recruiting but nothing specific about any company just a woman saying hey um I see you're in grad school um I'd love to chat with you if you're interested in leaving academia um I'm a recruiter and I help people land industry jobs and with that blanket I was like oh that sounds great um I followed up and I was like yeah I'd love to I'd love to set up a chat you know see kind of how I can navigate all of that so I thought when I was setting up this chat it was with this woman just I don't remember her name uh Daisy Smith and Daisy asked for my email uh I give it to her so then I get a calendar invite in my inbox but it's not from her it's from some other guy in Cheeky Scientist and this time it actually says Cheeky Scientist and it's this is my first um oh I'm actually meeting with Cheeky Scientist um and he sends this email and it has the invite so I'm thinking after this this is a little bit of a a scam I'm not gonna I'm just not gonna go to the meeting I'll cancel right after the guy sends a follow-up email before I've even done anything a second email really long with all the testimonials about how great cheeky scientist is yada 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 some videos um to watch before the meeting <laughs> and then at the end it has a big bold saying if you cancel this meeting or you don't show up um you're gonna be blacklisted you can't use any more of the cheeky scientist stuff um you'll never be considered for a future uh, if you want to come back to us later, say you can't find a job. Um, so you're like shutting the door on using Cheeky Scientist if you don't come to this meeting. Oh my God, what? Blacklisted from what? Like, yeah, I don't want to use your services then if you're going to tell me I'm blacklisted. What if my yeah, nan died? What if my nan died? Yeah. You're going to blacklist me. Like, like my nan's died and I now can't get a job. Like, that's bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's not laughing at that situation, but like, you know. For real though, like what if you had an, a family emergency and there was a genuine yeah. reason that you can't make that meeting, like, and they just you, like that's already very unhelpful. Like, But red flags are just flying in the wind, like what is going on? Mm -hmm. Also as well, um, I think it's really um, suspicious that she got reached out by a recruiter and didn't mm -hmm. know that it was under the umbrella of Cheeky Scientist until yeah. the meeting was booked in. And yeah. since that was, meeting was booked in, she then had to, well, I guess, had to go to it. Otherwise, she would be blacklisted. So it's like, yeah. I already don't want to like deal with this company because I've heard weird things about it. But if I don't go to this call, then I'll be blacklisted. But I didn't even know it was Cheeky Scientist in the first place. Like, what? Sounds like they know what they're doing, that people yeah. aren't signing up to it normally. So they have to go through, like, some random loopholes. Yeah. And pretend that they're not in the Cheeky Scientist. So I press accept. And then he sends another email after you accept with uh, all this, they call it required uh, watching material so it's a bunch of like youtube videos about cheeky scientists and, you know uh, all the promotional stuff so the meeting rolls around the morning of um the guy sends me another email to to check that i'm gonna come i get on the call and it is a hundred percent just a sales pitch this guy's you know talking again about cheeky scientists selling it that we're gonna guarantee you a job offer um you don't have to stress about the leave anymore you're guaranteed uh, a six-figure salary etc saying all these great stuff i'm like okay but how much actually is this and he's like oh you know three four thousand dollars and i'm like yeah no that's too much i'm a graduate student right i'm, I'm not making that much a month and he then tries to pressure me saying, oh, well, I'm giving you a really good discount right now. That's only valid for today. Um, there's only one spot left in our cohort, which 
This cohort stuff I've read later it means absolutely nothing. It's again just a selling tactic. And if you don't sign up today, you can do it later, but it's gonna cost you know like a couple thousand dollars more. And I was trying to play it be like, no, you know, I need to think about it, not interested. Um, kind of the Minnesotan girl way of saying no without being super direct about it. And as I was saying, you know, I need to think about it, this is a ton of money. Um, then he started asking me about like, you know, my partner, and I was saying, Oh yeah, like I I do live with someone. Um, and we do work expenses together. He's like, oh, okay, great. Then you can use them to get money. And I was like, well, no, I need to talk about big life decisions before I just go ahead and spend this money. Oh my God. Surely this is illegal. Like, you know how like influencers have to disclose like affiliations and like all of that. Like, I find it weird that she didn't disclose her affiliation with Cheeky Scientist when she first read out. And then now she's getting this crazy like sales pitch. All right, let's carry on. So again, I was trying to get off the phone. He was telling me how um, at the end, like I wouldn't get a job if I didn't use Cheeky Scientists. You know, starting to now go negative, how um, I wouldn't be cut out, how my resume is not going to score very well. Um, he's like, yeah, you're a scientist. You probably don't write very well. You know, saying all these things, trying to get into my head about all the all the things that scientists are worried about when they're leaving academia, um, really using uh, everything he knows that's bad and trying to you know, twist us so you spend that money. So I say no, hang up, getting more emails, everything. I end up having to block him and that girl who I originally connected with on LinkedIn. Um, I did report that LinkedIn girl afterwards because that was false advertising, saying so I talked to her and I end up talking to a cheeky scientist. Um, but the whole thing, and then I, I went down rabbit holes later about other people that have talked on Reddit, et cetera, about cheeky scientists. And wow, like... A lot of people fall for it. I don't blame them because they really prey on grad students' worst fears. You're never going to get a job. You don't know how to leave at academia. And you have to use this resource in order to be able to get into industry. Um, later, I was reading that the well, all the things they promise, right? They say they're going to build your resume for you, your LinkedIn, uh, guarantee job offers, etc. All of this is complete BS because... The guaranteed job offer, they have in fine print if you read through the contract, that is any job. It doesn't need to be even in industry. It doesn't need to be in science or anything. So that means, you know, if you don't get a job, they can be like, oh, well, we got you this job at McDonald's and you're fine. Um, the other thing that really irked me is they tell, oh, we're going to up your game on LinkedIn. You're going to meet one on one with, you know, Thermo Fisher and Sigma representatives that are going to guarantee you jobs. Um, again, all BS because... The people that went through this said they were just handed like a sheet on how to like reformat their LinkedIn and a template of an example resume. Uh, just <laughs> like you can't make this stuff up. So it's all a big scam is kind of my understanding of it. They're just really preying on graduate students insecurities. They're not going to be able to get an industry job um, and giving over huge amounts of money to compensation. When a lot of this you can do, as I learned, just by reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Yeah, don't use cheeky scientists is the conclusion of all of this. Um, universities, because like my university still works with cheeky scientists and paid for someone to come over and talk about how great cheeky scientists is and pass out like a promo book. Do not use them. There's other platforms out there that are better. That is absolutely insane. Mm. I cannot believe it. And like from the call, I don't even know what they're offering. Like I genuinely do not get it. Like there's very similar things in tech. Like in tech, there's very similar platforms where they'll like do similar things, but they will give you a whole course on like our programming or like data science. Like you will get like a whole data science course and like a certificate plus all of these things that cheeky scientists are offering you. Like I still don't actually understand what you're paying like free 10 grand for, for like 
career advice, basically. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't get it. Because a lot of universities or colleges, wherever you're based, they have their own careers advice and services or even just reaching out to other people who've gone through the same process of getting a job. They can always help you. Like, I just, I don't get why you'd pay. Yeah, I think, obviously, if you are a PhD student, and I don't think universities' career paths or like career services are always that great like mine personally wasn't amazing um and I don't think it can be like that specific to you and what you're doing as a PhD maybe undergrad career services is all right but um post PhD I think it's a bit harder but Liv maybe we should give the listeners some advice on post PhD and finding a job and things like that so that they don't have to use (laughs) cheeky scientist or other services like that reach out to people who are doing similar things that you could see yourself doing and talk to them about their career path and how they got into it Um, because that's all cheeky scientists are doing really is just like advising you and I think you could get that advice from other people who are actually doing the jobs in the field just by reaching out to them so yeah that's my advice is that's definitely what I did at the end of my PhD like I just spoke to as many people as possible about different options and then I had just yeah that was what was the biggest help for me yeah I agree and also you need to have a foundation of feeling not having this imposter syndrome that like you're not good enough for particular jobs like you literally have done a PhD or you're completing Mm. a PhD like you're in the top percent of the population in terms of qualifications and things like that you Mm. will be the most qualified person for the jobs that you're going for obviously it's getting more competitive as time goes on because more people are doing PhDs but you need to have a foundation of believing in yourself first and I think as well you also need to appreciate the fact that you during your PhD you would made a huge network of people mm-hmm. including your PIs they will know people yeah um, you really need to like make good use of those connections that you have and you'll be surprised at how open people in the science sphere are to maybe providing some work experience or just disclosing if they have a post like being advertised and things like that and I also think for me LinkedIn was so helpful a lot of postdocs get posted on LinkedIn a lot of um, industry jobs get yeah a lot of industry jobs get posted on LinkedIn. So just put job notifications on and you'll be surprised at like how many actually come through. It's not until yeah. you start looking that you don't realise. Then I've worked in other industries. So I was a data analyst before I went back to uni to do my master's. And you'll you'll be so surprised that like a lot of the skills you've done just are transferable. There's so many soft skills that you get from doing a PhD. It's not just the technical skills. So if you really want to transition out of academia into an industry job you just need to figure out ways of selling yourself in a in that light of like oh I've got all these skills and really just kind of honing in on I have collaborative skills and then give an example I've Mm -hmm. worked with this team and this team and we've produced this Mm -hmm. work and then you know you always need to back it up not just saying oh I can work well in a team no Mm -hmm. and I think it's a lot of it is timing as well like because you've studied such a specific thing like you literally like you do in some sense rely on a suitable project or a suitable suitable job being available at the time that you finish so if you are someone who's waiting like months I don't think you should 
hold that against yourself because it could literally just be that your field is like an underfunded field and there's just not many jobs available you know like Mm. I was really lucky that literally just like the perfect project for me just came up like as I finished my PhD and like I didn't even know these PIs like we'd never spoke we didn't really have any mutual connections but it just worked out that way so I think for some people like it is luck in a sense I mean I don't want to use the word luck because it's not luck like you worked really hard but Mm. timing I think is the right word but also I think on that point don't be afraid to branch out from your subject Mm. when I came to Australia I couldn't study viruses because I don't have the security clearance to study viruses here because I'm not a permanent resident whereas obviously at home I am and I can get that security clearance so immediately straight away I was thinking oh I need to go in a different field and I have like I've gone from viruses to looking at the microbiome which is two completely different things but everything from my PhD like the lab skills are the same they are the same at the end of the day and data analysis writing scientific text like it's all transferable obviously I'm going to have a bit of a learning curve at the beginning but it's still doable so definitely don't get disheartened if you can't find jobs in your field as well but obviously it's an easier transition yeah okay so in conclusion Taz what do you want to say to anyone who is considering maybe using cheeky scientist I think believe in yourself you don't need external help there's so many resources or free resources out there that you can tap into and just have faith in yourself that you'll find something we all go through it we've all been through it and Liv and I are both examples of being able to find a job post PhD so just Mm -hmm. have faith basically So obviously just want to thank Chloe for sending in her experience because I think it really does sort of open our eyes to what can be happening out there. If you want to know more about uh, this, obviously I'll leave the link below. We're just discussing this, so I just want to make the disclaimer that all opinions are our own as well, as I say in the intro. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And Liv, can you let us know what we're going to be learning about next week? Yeah, so next week we're covering the topic of epigenetics. Specifically, I'm talking about epigenetic inheritance. And I'll be telling you guys about this awesome study, which is all about how obese mice inherently make their own ground children obese. So I'm so excited to tell you guys about it because it's actually so cool. So yeah, make sure you guys tune in next week. You've been listening to the So Cultured podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you listen in next week for more science and tech updates and the hottest laboratory. You can stay up to date with us in between episodes by following us on Instagram and X at So Cultured Podcast. See you back here same time next week.